Jesus spoke a great deal in scripture about the kingdom of God, also called the kingdom of heaven. He talked about it like having faith like a mustard seed, though tiny, powerful enough to move mountains. He talked about the kingdom of God as infectious, like yeast when it's mixed in with bread dough that makes the whole thing rise and affects everything it touches. This scripture this morning that Luke will share with us is also about the kingdom of God and what it is to live when we are invested and passionate and commit everything that we have without holding back. Our confirmands, our confirmation class, who uh, is getting ready to join this church in the spring, they're using this scripture, sometimes called the parable of the talents, as an inspiration for kingdom assignments, where they too will invest money, which has been given to them by this church, into projects, into creations, into whatever their minds can come up with to grow that money to give back to charities and nonprofits that they have selected to help people in need. It's not a passage exclusively about money, but that is part of it to illustrate what this kingdom of God looks like when it's lived out in our midst. So let's hear the scripture. It's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one, he gave $5,000. To another, 2000 To a third, 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his investment. The second did the same, but... The man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant with the 2,000 showed how he also had doubled his master's investment. His master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that You demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best... Why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
It's always a joy to have Luke Foyer share scripture with us on a Sunday morning. Please. (laughs) It's the kind of energy I like to see in worship. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. God, we pray that this new year we would not play it safe and instead might go out on a limb for the sake of the gospel. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. Today we're at the threshold of a new year, and it's an invitation annually to evaluate where we are in life, how we're doing, um, whether we need to commit or recommit to a new way of living and being and thinking for a new year. I want to start with an example from my own life that maybe you can relate to. My husband Joel and I were generally pretty healthy people. We eat vegetables, we go on walks, we don't smoke, we wear our seat belts. But sometimes we go through phases of bad eating. Can anybody relate to that? Okay. Like instead of eating peppers and apples and bananas and whatever other healthy things we might have, we tend to steer more towards cookies and pretzels and candy corn and all kinds of bad things. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of candy once in a while. There's nothing wrong with having a Christmas cookie. John Wesley and Jesus both advocated for feasting when it was appropriate and perhaps fasting also when it was appropriate. Moderation is really the goal here. But usually for Joel and I, our bad eating starts kind of gradually. It starts with that moderation of, oh, I'll just have one cookie. I'll just have one piece of pizza. I'll just have one of whatever it is. And we've had a stressful week, let's say, so we skip the veggies and we go for ramen and we um, start eating those things that bring us comfort, mac and cheese and anything with cheese, really. Again, there's no, no big deal, nothing wrong with eating cheese. I love cheese. But then there's another day and another day and another day, and suddenly we look back and we realize we have not eaten a vegetable in weeks. That's when the problem comes in, and we start to just feel awful, like physically. We don't feel good. Emotionally, we start to not feel so good after that long of eating unhealthy. Several times in the past few years, Joel and I have had these realizations about our eating habits where we suddenly wake up and we go, wow, it's been a long time of eating not so great, and we need to do something about this. And Joel and I will use the word, we need to recommit. That's our phrase, recommit. And in fact, when we say we're going to recommit to each other, that exclusively for us means healthy lifestyle and getting back to eating fruits and vegetables. So this past week, in the midst of Christmas and Christmas cookies and all that, we looked at each other and we said, okay, it is time to recommit. And it starts with a trip to the grocery store where we select some healthy food for ourselves, and that then determines what choices we're able to make when we're fixing dinner later on in the week, because it's these little choices each day that build up to a lifestyle. And it's little choices day by day by day that take us on a journey of either health or not so healthy. And it's true of our faith lives as well. 
John Wesley believed that we constantly need to recommit ourselves to Christ because our faith walk is not something that happens in a single day and is done for our lifetime. It's something we constantly have to work at. It's something we make choices about every moment, every day when we wake up. And we need to recommit ourselves to Christ, not for God to prove how committed we are. God already knows what's going on in our hearts and our minds. We don't need to recommit ourselves to somehow earn salvation as if we could. God's all about unmerited grace. It's not for us to earn anyway. Instead, it's to confirm for ourselves once again that we, that we have faith, that we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, that we want to be more like him, the one who healed the sick, the one who fed the hungry, the one who preached good news to those who were in poverty, in prison, left out, overlooked, the one who declared hope and life in the face of death and despair. That's the kind of lifestyle we want to lead as Christians. And so we recommit in our faith to remind ourselves that we belong to God, and that impacts how we think about the world. That impacts how we live on a daily basis. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the story of a man and his servants. And the man goes on a trip, and he's handing out responsibilities to these different servants that he has. One person, he gives $5,000. The next one, 2000 The final one, 1000 And the servant with $5,000 is so excited that he invests everything and winds up doubling his money. The man with $2,000, equally enthusiastic, again, takes action, invests everything, doubles what he's been given. The servant with 1000 is timid. He's afraid. He's nervous of what the master will do if he fails. And so he digs a hole and he buries all his money in it until the master comes back. And when the master gets back, he's pleased with the one who's invested the 5000 and the one who's invested the 2000 But when he gets to that third servant who dug a hole and buried everything, he's a little less thrilled because the servant didn't try anything risky. He didn't take a chance. He didn't even put it in a bank so he'd at least earn a little bit of interest. He just dug a hole and buried everything that he'd been given. And at the end of the story, the master says, Really? You didn't do anything with this money that I entrusted to you? Where's your passion? Couldn't you see the possibilities? Weren't you willing to take a chance? And then he says, get out of here. And he casts the servant outside. Some translations say he cast him into outer darkness or utter darkness. I've always read this story and thought, that's a pretty harsh reaction, (laughs) especially in a story told by Jesus. That seems a little bit harsh to this poor servant. All he did was bury his treasure. But I was reading this story as a standalone and as sort of a literal tale. The trick is to read it in the context of the rest of Scripture. This story seems to have this dire, unchangeable ending, like to all who bury their treasure, you get cast out. Well, that's not the whole picture. Jesus tells plenty of other stories about second chances and about grace. There's a story with the 99 sheep where one is lost and the shepherd goes to search for that one missing sheep 
There's the story of the prodigal son where the son goes off with his inheritance and he squanders all of his money. He takes this big risk and he gambles it all away and he loses everything. And he comes back and his father accepts him with open arms and says, my son who was dead is now returned to life. There's the, dis- the story of the disciples who couldn't catch any fish all day and Jesus says, well, just cast your net to the other side. And when they do, they receive a net full of fish. There are all kinds of stories of grace and second chances in the Bible. So this story isn't really about that undeniable ending of getting cast out. It's about those other two servants and what they do with what they've been entrusted with. In Matthew 6, Jesus tells us, don't store up your treasure here on earth where it'll rust and moths will eat it. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. A parable is a story that's meant to teach us a moral truth about how we live our lives. It's not some literal tale about what happens if you have $5,000 and you invest $5,000, because you may or may not double your money. You might wind up losing it all. In the market, this may or may not happen a certain way. This is a story about what happens when we invest in the kingdom of God. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something about what it means to live in and among the kingdom of God. It's no good to bury your treasure. It's no good to bury your gifts, whatever you've been entrusted with. It's no good to bury your heart, to put up walls, to barricade yourself away from everybody for fear of what you might lose. Because nothing can be gained when you bury what you've got. We can't grow like that. Jesus is telling this story to emphasize how crucial it is to do something with what we've been given. And we've all been given the gift of life here on this earth. It's crucial to do something with that gift. It's crucial to take some action, to commit, to take a risk, to take a step forward. It's so vitally important to make a move with what we've been given. It's not about money. It's about everything else in our lives. Our spiritual gifts, our relationship with family, our relationship with God. This is a story about going all in. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, Jesus tells us that the core of our faith is really about feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, comforting those in prison, offering clothing and shelter to those in need, proclaiming release to the captive ministering to those who society outcasts. Because when we do it to the least among us, we do it for God. And so if that's the kind of thing that excites you, loving God, loving neighbor, we need to give everything that we've got to that effort. We need to give everything we've got over to God. We can't bury it away in a hole in the ground. We've got to share it. We've got to invest it. We've got to give it away. The story is an invitation to go all in and invest in those things that really matter so that God won't find us at the end of our lives having put up walls around ourselves, around our hearts, around our gifts, striving to protect what we've got without adding any life or wisdom to our days. This parable is a call to let go of our fear of failure because 
I think God respects a failure in a big way for the sake of the gospel, much more than somebody who didn't ever try anything. It's a call to commit fully to God. It's like that moment in Jeopardy when people are asked, what are you going to wager? And some of them hold back a few dollars on their wager just so they'll have something in the end if all goes wrong and they don't get the answer right. We're not called to live like that. We're called to bet it all on God. Again, this is not a parable about money. This is a parable about everything else in our lives. When we're living for the gospel, when we're living into the kingdom of God. Now, it's easy to do that. It's easy to bet it all and to go all in when we're first on fire for God. When we first encounter Christ and we're excited, we've got energy, we've got fire in our heart to do something for the sake of the gospel because we found Jesus and we want to live like him and we want to do good for other people. We want to transform the world and we're on fire and that's exciting. But then a few weeks or months or maybe even years go by and we can lose that fire. We can lose that energy, that enthusiasm, that assurance that all things are working for good in the end. And we might become a little bit fearful for the future. We might become a little bit protective of what we have. We might become unwilling to see possibilities. And we might become those naysayers who encounter new ideas with the phrase, that won't work. And suddenly we look up and we realize that we are just like that third servant in the story who are burying away whatever it is we've been entrusted with rather than giving it over and investing in the kingdom of God. Love of God, love of neighbor. John Wesley used a different word for this. He called it backsliding, regressing in our faith walk getting further from where we actually want to be in following the gospel. It can happen to any one of us if we aren't regularly recommitting to a life of faith, if we aren't regularly reflecting on where we're at and where we actually want to be in our relationship with God, in our relationships with our family, in the way we live our daily lives trying to be like Jesus. We can turn into these fearful, uninspired versions of ourselves We can be people who dig holes, who try to hide away, who try to protect ourselves, instead of being compelled by all of our energy and passion in faith to see what might be possible, what might happen out there in the world if we give of ourselves and give of what we have. It can happen to any of us that we become like that third servant in this story, which is why for several hundred years, Christians specifically Wesleyans, those in the Methodist tradition, have seen January as an opportunity to recommit in our faith, to rekindle that fire for justice in our hearts, to reclaim our love of God and the people around us. As early as the 1600s, so 400 years ago, when a new year dawned, Methodists took that new year as an invitation to recommit to God, and to faith. And they did so by praying what is known as Wesley's Covenant Prayer, which we're going to pray together later in worship. It's printed in your bulletins. This is a several hundred-year-old prayer that people have been praying in January for years upon years. 
John Wesley, of course, was the founder of the Methodist movement, which we are heirs to today in the United Methodist Church, and is a movement focused on grace, personal holiness, and commitment to social justice. John Wesley believed we should regularly seek to recommit ourselves to faith, because faith is a daily choice, something we have to work at regularly, just like you might work at exercising or eating your vegetables. Faith is like that. The end game of faith is not simply to say, well, I'm, I'm saved now, and then live our lives as if nothing has changed. The end game of faith in Jesus Christ means that everything we do, everything we make choices about in our daily lives pivots around that love that we have for God and the love and compassion that we have for those around us in this world. The prayer that we're going to share this morning, it's one of commitment, and it's a prayer of passion, and it is a prayer of investment fully in God. Wesley believed this was the kind of covenant that all Christians should share with their creator. These are promises all Christians should be able to make as followers of Jesus. But it's not a prayer for the faint of heart, and it's not a prayer that can be said lightly. He begins by handing everything over to God. Wesley says, I am no longer my own. I'm God's. He uses the phrase, I am thine, meaning God's. There's no burying of money here. This is, this is an all-in situation. Wesley's saying, okay, I'm investing. I'm investing myself. And then he says, rank me however you will. First, last, middle of the pack. I'm not in this for the fame or the glory. I'm following Jesus Christ to be whatever God needs me to be. Or at least, I pray that that's true about myself. And then as you look at the prayer those third and those fourth lines, those are tough ones, and those get me every time I look at this, this prayer. Wesley says, put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you, God, or let me be laid aside for you. Generally, when we think of committing ourselves to Christ, we think of what we're going to do, like Martha in the Gospels, running around, feeding people, getting ready for whatever's going to happen next. We don't much imagine that our commitment to Christ is going to lead to us stepping back or stepping aside. And yet sometimes it does to make way for someone new or for some other various reason. Similarly with suffering, God doesn't wish that on any of us. God, God does not cause any of those things for us. But that happens in the course of our Christian walk that we might suffer. And Wesley knew that. And he said, that's okay, because I walk with Christ. The next lines in the prayer echo the words of the Apostle Paul from Philippians chapter 4. He says, I know what it is to be full. I know what it is to be empty to have all things, to have nothing, regardless of my circumstances, I choose to follow God. To have all things, to have nothing, that's a very wide range to commit yourself to. And then he says to God, you are mine, 
and I am yours. We belong together, here and now on earth and in the life that is to come. Before we pray Wesley's covenant prayer of recommitment this morning, I want you to think back to a moment when you were really passionate about your faith, to a moment when you felt really close to God. Maybe you had a moment where your heart was strangely warmed and you really felt assured of God's presence. Maybe there was a particular worship experience that moved you and you felt the Holy Spirit in the room. Maybe there was a season of your life where you felt particularly close to God, you felt the presence of the sacred, you felt like God was walking with you and you really felt it in your bones. For a few of you, maybe you're going through that season right now. I want you to think back to that moment, to that season, to that time in your life. What was it like? What were you doing? Where did your fire come from? What did that fire lead you to do? I want you to recapture that passion for a moment. For John Wesley, he had a moment when he felt his heart was strangely warmed by the assurance of God's love. I want you to remember what that felt like, that hunger, that thirst for God, that excitement, that fervor to do God's work. Remember that. It's hard to follow Jesus with that same level of fervor and faithfulness every single day. Just like healthy eating, it's easier to pop open a bag of potato chips than it is to cut up fresh vegetables. It's easier to sleep in than it is to wake up early and to pray and read scripture or whatever else it is that you do for a daily practice of faith. And yet we don't seek to do what's easy as Christians. We seek to challenge ourselves to do what's difficult, to grow in our faith, to grow in our walk, to take some risks, to do something a little different than the rest of the world might choose to do. As we pray Wesley's prayer this morning, may God rekindle in us our passion for justice, our faith in Jesus Christ, our excitement for walking this Christian walk. May we commit fully to our faith and may our daily actions reflect what God has placed in our hearts. Amen.